Thank you so much for being a part of the Connection Online service. It's such a great thing that we can grow together in the Word of God, even with miles separating us. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the core of our character, or the qualities we possess. We've been learning that we are each made in the image of God, so our character should reflect His character. We should possess His qualities. And last week, we started looking at Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, where it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We've been learning about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and how it can manifest or show up in the life of a believer in Jesus. This week, we're going to continue to look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and talk about patience, kindness, and goodness. But before we get there, Let's talk a little bit about the last couple of weeks. Has the Lord been speaking to you during this series? Has he shown you things in your character that don't quite line up with his? Have you seen new things about God that inspire you to be a better person, to try harder, or even to go about things in a totally different way? Me too. <laughs> these revelations though, these ideas, these plans, they're often met with limited success. You see, God wants us to be transformed, to be renewed, to be made more and more into His image every day. But He doesn't expect us to do it on our own, which is what we, as humans, tend to try to do. Thankfully, Jesus gives us a different way to do things, a different path. If you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter 15. <clears throat> In this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he knows his time is short. In just a little while, he will be arrested and crucified. Jesus says this to his followers. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So all our attempts at self-improvement, at conquering our bad habits, even our attempts to become more like Jesus, to reflect his character, they're impossible 
if we are trying to do it in our own strength. We cannot do it on our own. And Jesus knew this. He knew we would try to be better people, be better Christians, and that sometimes we would try to do it without his help. So he gave us this amazing picture of a better way, the way he intends us to grow. Let's look at that text again, starting in verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Does the life, the strength, the nourishment come from the branches? Of course not. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It is the vine that carries the life to the branches. Without the vine, the branches would die. They would have no life at all. In Romans 11, Paul uses the same imagery when he says, we were grafted in and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. We have been grafted in. There are so many interesting, powerful things about this picture that Jesus gives us and Paul elaborates on. I think about a fruit tree. If I want to graft a branch onto a fruit tree, that branch is going to need to get all of its nourishment, all of its life, from that new rootstock it's being grafted onto. That life, that sap, that nourishment, it's already there in the rootstock, just waiting for the new branch to be grafted on. But the rootstock has to be cut first or wounded in order to make a place for the new branch to be grafted in, just as Jesus was wounded for our sins. His wounds, his suffering, his death on the cross allow us to be grafted in to the family of God, to have access to life, forgiveness, healing, even access to have the very Spirit of God dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit is the sap bringing life to the branches including the newly grafted. And like the sap brings life to the branches and binds them to the rootstock, the Holy Spirit brings life to us, the branches, and binds us to Jesus, the true vine. You see, as branches, we're not independent or self-sufficient. We have no source of life within ourselves. All of our life, our provision, our hope comes from the vine from Jesus and the Holy Spirit he has sent to dwell within us. So it's no wonder we can't change ourselves. We need the life and the power that come only from the presence of God in our lives. As we become more and more grafted onto the vine, more filled with the life-giving spirit, more bound to Jesus, the true vine, those character traits we've been trying to access, the fruit of the spirit, will develop in us and flow out they will be the fruit that comes from the presence of God in our lives. So since we want these characteristics of God, this fruit of the Spirit's presence to develop in our lives, and we realize we're powerless to manifest them on our own, what can we do? Well, we have some choices to make. The first step, choose to be grafted into the family of God. Listen to these beautiful words from the third chapter of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus so that you can believe in him and have life. God didn't send Jesus to condemn you, but to bring you life. And not hanging on by the skin of your teeth life, but abundant life. Jesus stands ready to receive you, to forgive you, to heal the broken pieces of your heart, to give you life. Accept him and his love for you. Ask for his forgiveness and receive it. In the name of Jesus, receive the forgiveness that he offers to you. Receive it. Let it sink down deep into your soul and be grafted onto the life-giving vine that brings you into the family of God. Be grafted in. That's the first step. Now let's go back to that idea of the fruit tree for a moment. In order for the branch to be grafted onto the rootstock, it has to be cut off from something. That branch is getting a new life source, a better life source. But in order to be grafted onto the new life source, it has to stop relying on its old source of nourishment. And that can be scary. As you are being grafted in, look to Jesus. He is your source. He is your hope. Don't be distracted by the old ways, the old vine. Rely on Jesus. Be grafted into him and be filled with the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us the next step back in verse 4 of our text. Let's look at it again. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Choose to abide in Jesus. Now, abide is a strange word to me. It's been one of those words that I think I kind of know what it means. Something about living, maybe. But since I couldn't really define it, I looked it up in the dictionary. The American Heritage Dictionary defines abide this way. To remain in a place or to wait patiently for. So when Jesus says abide in me, he is telling us to remain in him as if he is a place where we can camp out or live. Remain in Jesus. His presence is with you. Remain in it. He is the place you live, the place you work, the place you sleep and play. Abide in him. Remain in him. Become so sure of his presence that you live in it. Everything you do, everything you say, it all happens in the very presence of God because you abide in him and he abides in you. As we abide in Jesus, as we remain in him, he abides in us. His presence fills us and begins to leave less and less room for the things that are not of him. And that's a good thing. As we are filled with the presence of God, with his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it leaves less room in our lives for strife, envy, fits of anger, jealousy, 
those unhealthy qualities slowly slink away as they are crowded out by the presence of God and his qualities. You see, once we have accepted the gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers us, once we have been forgiven because of his sacrifice, once we have been filled with his spirit, and have begun to allow him to move in our hearts and our minds, the fruit of the spirit becomes a proactive intervention against sin. The Holy Spirit begins to change our character to reflect the character of God. We don't stop being impatient so we can be patient. We become patient as we become more like Jesus, and there isn't room anymore for impatience. We don't stop being angry so that we can be kind. We experience God's kindness, and it changes us. We become kinder, and it leaves no room for fits of anger or jealousy. As the fruit of the Spirit develops in our lives, He changes us from the inside out. His patience, His kindness, His goodness, not ours. We are simply the branches grafted onto the vine, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce His fruit in us. This, my friends, is not a quick process. But Jesus tells us, abide in me. Do you remember the dictionary definition of abide from a few moments ago? We've been talking about that first one, to remain in a place. But do you remember the second one? Abide also means to wait patiently for. So when Jesus tells us to abide in him, he is telling us to remain in him. But he is also telling us to wait patiently for him. He is working in your life. Abide in him. Remain in him. Wait patiently for him. He will do what he says he will do. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Just like Paul wrote to those believers in Philippi over a thousand years ago, I say to you today, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will. Jesus is working in your life today. The Holy Spirit is working in your life today. God the Father, he is working in your life today. Abide in him, remain in him, wait patiently for him, and trust that he will bring it to completion in you. Next, allow patience, kindness, and goodness to come from the Lord. These character qualities, these attributes, they're not things we have on our own, but they are qualities the Lord has in abundance. The Bible is filled with references to the Lord's patience. We've already talked about Philippians 1.6. God is working in our lives and will bring that to completion. He's not impatient, asking what is taking us so long. He is the one bringing it to completion. Patiently working in our lives as we abide in him and he abides in us. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 say, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God knows our thought processes are not the same as his. He knows we don't completely understand his ways. 
We aren't capable of it. We're just humans, beings that he created. He knows our limitations and is patient with us as we strive to be more and more like him every day. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did you catch that? Even before we have come to repentance, even before we have surrendered to Jesus and been grafted into the family of God, he is patient toward us. Why would we ever imagine that he would stop being patient with us after we have been grafted in and filled with his Holy Spirit? We have so many references to his kindness as well. Daniel 9.18 says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great kindness. And Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Again, just like we discovered with his patience, his kindness is for us even before we have repented. His kindness leads us to repentance. Why would we imagine he would stop being kind to us once we have been grafted in and filled with his spirit? Kindness is a part of the nature of God. He isn't capable of being unkind to us. It goes against his very nature. Sometimes as humans, it can be hard to see that though. His ways are not our ways, and it can be confusing. Sometimes the kindness of God can look like something else. In our family, we used to have a small flock of sheep. We really loved those sheep, and Greg and the boys worked hard to look after them. Now, this flock was important to our family, and we were invested not just financially, but emotionally, too, in their well-being. Our little flock of sheep had one ram, and we called him Dexter. Now, being the lone ram in a group of ewes and lambs, Dexter thought he was the big cheese. He was convinced that he was the boss, and he saw Greg, the shepherd, as an intruder. So whenever Greg would come to care for the sheep, Dexter would charge at him. Dexter was a Shetland ram, and he had these two beautiful horns. They were lovely to look at, but they're definitely not something you want charging at you with 100 plus pounds of sheep behind it. So you can't take care of the flock if you're always needing to avoid one of the sheep. It's not sustainable, and it makes it impossible to care for that one sheep. If Dexter didn't stop charging at Greg, he was destined for the butcher shop. But being a sheep, Dexter didn't understand that. Well, one day, as Greg entered the pasture to care for the sheep, here came Dexter, charging at him with those big horns and a whole lot of bad attitude. As that ram came close to him, Greg grabbed a hold of one of those lovely horns, turned it just a bit, and laid Dexter down on his side in the pasture. Greg didn't hurt him. He just held him there for a few moments, just long enough for Dexter to realize he couldn't get up unless Greg let him up. Just long enough for him to realize the shepherd was in charge, not the sheep. Then Greg let him up. Dexter never charged him again. Now I'm sure it didn't feel like kindness to Dexter when Greg grabbed his horn and held him down in the pasture. But it was. It saved him from the butcher shop. His little sheep brain probably never figured that out, but the shepherd knew. 
The shepherd knew he had to teach the sheep the proper order of things, or the sheep would end up somewhere very unpleasant. Greg was a good shepherd, and he was kind, even when it didn't seem like it to that ram. We have a good shepherd, too, and he is kind to us, even when his ways are not our ways. Think about Jonah. You're probably familiar with his story. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and deliver a message. But Jonah got on a ship and went the other way, to Tarshish. So God sent a storm. The storm was so intense that the boat was close to breaking up. It must have been starting to sink. And Jonah knew the storm was a result of his running away from the assignment God had given him. So he had the sailors throw him overboard. And the storm ceased. This is amazing. The storm stopped. But Jonah is bobbing along in the Mediterranean Sea. Not on the boat, in the sea. And what does the Lord do? Does he prompt the sailors to throw Jonah a lifeline? Jonah 1 verse 17 gives us the answer. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, we don't know what Jonah's initial thoughts on this were, but I can tell you if I was floating in the sea, probably trying to swim my way to safety, or hoping my buddies on the boat were going to throw me a line, and a big fish came and swallowed me up, I am fairly certain I would not see this as a kindness. But it was. We don't know what Jonah's initial reaction to being swallowed was, but we do know he eventually realized that God, in his kindness, had rescued him. And God's kindness led to repentance. After three days and nights, the fish spit Jonah out on the dry land, and Jonah delivered that message to Nineveh. Not only did Jonah repent and obey the Lord, but the whole city of Nineveh repented. God's kindness led to repentance for an entire city. And God, in his kindness, is rescuing us too, even when it doesn't look like it. Even when it feels like he is holding us down in the pasture, or when a big scary situation is threatening to swallow us, his kindness is there, protecting us, rescuing us, leading us closer and closer to him. Psalm 100 verse 5 tells us, The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And 1 Chronicles 13.4 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God is good. His goodness is never-ending. Just like we talked about with kindness, goodness is a part of the nature of God. He is pure goodness. There is no evil in him at all. He is not capable of being evil. It goes against his nature. The Old Testament states time and time again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. But never once does God return evil for evil. He will never do that. It goes against his very nature. Like Psalm 100 verse 5 and 1 Chronicles 13 4 declare, the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, but the Lord's goodness and steadfast love endure forever. They couldn't evil their way out of God's goodness, and neither can we. 
When we are on our side in the pasture, when that big fish is coming at us, we can rely on the goodness of God. He isn't out to get us. He isn't repaying us for the evil we have done. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. When our emotions, our life circumstances, are telling us something different, we can hold fast to that biblical promise. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. As a matter of fact, the scriptures go even further with this thought. Psalm 23, verse 6 declares, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That word surely, it means without a doubt, absolutely. His goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, absolutely, forever, without a doubt. Let me say that again. His goodness is never ending. It will follow you all the days of your life. You see, God is perfect. He doesn't do evil things. He doesn't make mistakes. He is perfect. In Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus tells us, You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's important to realize, though, that Jesus is not commanding us to come up with perfection, to develop our goodness and our perfection on our own. No, he is telling us that God is making us perfect. He is the one doing it. It's a process. As we grow closer to him, his goodness, his perfection is being formed in us. The Apostle Paul even gives us some encouragement about this process. In Romans 15, 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Paul reassures us that God is filling us with his own goodness. As believers, we are being filled with the goodness of God as we continue to walk in relationship with him. Patience, kindness, and goodness come from the Lord. They are each an integral part of his character. If we try to define God to describe who he is, we have to include each of these attributes. He is patient. He is kind. He is good. And because he is patient, kind, and good, we can trust him to cause these qualities to grow in us as we grow closer to him. As we are more and more grafted onto the true vine, Jesus, as we allow the Holy Spirit to bind us closer to Jesus every day, as we abide in him, remaining in him and waiting patiently for him, the patience, kindness, and goodness of the Lord will grow in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. This is a choice we make. Choose to be grafted into Jesus. Every day, look to him to be your source of life, of hope, of love. Don't be distracted by the old ways. You've been cut off from those. When you are tempted to look for hope in your old ways or in your own strength, choose instead to look to Jesus. He is the source of your strength. Ask him to give you his strength every day. Continue to be grafted in to him. And ask his Holy Spirit to bring you life. Remember to abide in Jesus. 
Remember, he is with you. No matter where you go or what you do, his presence is with you. Remain in him and wait patiently for him. He is with you. He is working in you. Let his presence take up space in your heart. Finally, allow patience, kindness, and goodness to come from the Lord. When you are faced with challenges, big or small, pray. Right at that moment, ask the Lord to give you his patience, kindness, goodness, or whatever quality of his it is that you need right in that moment. Remember, we don't have these things on our own. They come from the Lord. Ask him for what you need. And don't worry if it feels like you're praying this prayer all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. So keep praying, keep asking, and trust that he is causing the fruit of his presence to grow in your life. Allow the patience, the kindness, the goodness of the Lord to penetrate your heart. Allow his patience, his kindness, his goodness to grow in you and overflow to the world around you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your sacrifice that opens the way for us to be a part of the family of God. Help us to be fully grafted into you, Jesus. Fill us today with your life, with your love, with your Holy Spirit. We choose to abide in you, Lord, to remain in you. Give us your strength and help us to look to you for all that we need. Grow the fruit of your presence in our lives and help us to share that fruit with those around us. In your wonderful holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.